What's up, Being Lighting Church? Thank you for joining us for today's message on podcast. We pray it blesses you and causes a shift inside of you. Stay tuned for the word. We love you. Amen. All right, without any much further ado, I would love us to open our Bibles with me to the book of to the book of um, Matthew. I would also open our Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. Yes, book of Matthew. Um, book of Matthew, chapter twenty-six. Matthew chapter twenty-six. So, um, Matthew chapter twenty-six. Yeah, and we'll start from the sixth night verse. But before we start, uh, I just want to give us context real quick. So last week I preached a sermon. Last week I preached a sermon called uh, "For Broken For Broken People," and. Um, when when um when I preached the sermon last week, I said I said that I spoke of how Judas, you know how we, we all know the story of how Judas betrayed Jesus, and I said um I, I said Judas betrayed Jesus and he was he sold Jesus for thirty pieces of silver, silver not even gold for goodness sake. The savior of the world was sold for thirty pieces of silver, and now there's something wonderful about that that I found out or God showed to me was that, and I said this last week, it was that the 30 pieces of silver that Judas used, in, that Jesus sold, Judas sold Jesus for, the 30 pieces of silver Judas sold Jesus for, was used in, was used, actually used in purchasing a piece of land. The 30 pieces of silver that Judas sold Jesus for was used in purchasing a piece of land. Uh, a piece of land that was actually um, dedicated to, it, it was called the potter's field of clay. The piece of land was called the potter's field of clay. And what, what happened was that that piece of land was actually used um, for, it, it was actually called, uh, scholars say the piece of land was actually a place where broken potters, b- broken potter's vessels were thrown into that place. Broken potter's, uh, broken pieces, that's the shards of a broken clay pot, were thrown into that land. So, and, and, and Jesus went and he bought, I mean, the Pharisees, of course, went with the 30 pieces of silver, we'll read that very soon, and they bought a piece of land that piece of land and i said this last week i said although although the pharisees were the ones who bought the land but one thing they didn't know was that god would use even the worst person to fulfill a prophecy he used even the worst person to fulfill a promise and god used the pharisees to purchase a piece of land because he wanted to prove something to us and it was that god still takes great interest in broken things Amen. God still takes great interest in broken things, broken people and broken relationships, broken minds, broken families. God takes interest in broken things. Amen. Amen. So um, last, week I, last week, my focus was on Judas and, uh, and in Jesus. But this week, I want to switch it up a little, right? I want to talk about a dude whose name um, was Peter. And I would love to introduce us to that dude. In the book of Matthew chapter 26, we start from verse 69. All right, it's put it on the screen. It says this. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard when his servant girl came up to him and said, I recognize you. You were with Jesus the Galilean. Next verse. In front of everyone, Peter denied it and said, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And later, as he stood near the gateway of the courtyard, another servant girl noticed him. Right? This is really crazy, but the last week has actually taught me one thing in the, very hard, in the, very, in the hardest of all ways. And it's this. People notice you more than you notice them. People watch you more than you watch them, right? And so crazy. It says another servant girl noticed him and said, I know this man. He's a follower of Jesus the Nazarene. And the ne- next verse, once again, Peter denied it. And with an oath, he said, 
I tell you, I don't know the man. All right. Next verse. A short time after that, those standing nearby approached Peter and said, Dog, we know you, man. You're one of the his disciples. We can tell by your speech. Your Galilean accent gives you away. You're Nigerian. I can tell by how you pronounce the words. <laughs> Amen. Peter denied it. Using profanity, he said, I don't effing know what I don't effing know the man. Right? Profanity. So we have to like make it real, right? Holy. Okay, no. That was too much. I don't know the man. At that very moment, the sound of a crowing roaster. If you're American, that's cockadoodle. If you're Nigerian, that's kukuruku. Pierced the night. Amen. The next verse. I said, then Peter remembered the prophecy of Jesus. Before the roaster crows, kukuruku or kukududu, you will have denied me three times. And with a shattered heart, I love that, shattered heart, Peter left the courtyard, sobbing with bitter tears. Now the next verse is actually the next chapter of the book of, that actually falls into the next chapter, which is Matthew chapter 27. And let's read that, Matthew chapter 27. It says this, it says, before dawn that morning, all the chief priests and religious leaders resolved to take action against Jesus and decided that he should be executed. So they bound him and led him away to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, when Judas, the betrayer, right, saw that Jesus had been sentenced to death, remorse filled his heart. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and religious leaders, saying, I have sinned by betraying an innocent man. They replied, why are you bothering us? That's your problem. Then Judas flung the silver coins inside the temple and went out and hanged himself. The chief priest picking up the pieces of silver said, We can't keep this, for it's unlawful to put blood money into the temple treasury. So after some deliberation, they decided to purchase the potter's field of clay. To use as a cemetery for burying strangers. That is why that land has been called the field of blood. Love that's the reading of his word. Um, if you're perhaps maybe um, new to church and you have never um, heard of the name Peter before, right? And you've never really known and you don't really know who Peter was, I think this is a bad place to start, right? If you've never met Peter before, I think this is a bad, really bad place to start. Because if I tell you that Peter, this Peter we just read about was a disciple of Jesus, as a matter of fact, he and Jesus were besties, all right? They were the, probably like the closest of all disciples. They were the closest friends, right? Jesus literally told him that on this rock I'll be my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this same dude, some hours after Jesus said that, was openly and publicly disgracing, I mean, denying Jesus, rather. And by the way, just so you know, Jesus was there. He literally denied Jesus in Jesus' presence. Jesus was literally standing a couple of meters away from Peter when Peter denied him three times and even swore, so I've never met Jesus before. I think this is a bad place to start, all right? Because if we, if, we, if we just, by what we have read, try to judge Peter, like, we, is that not what we always, that's what we always do, where we take just a few excerpts of someone's weakest moments and we try to label them and judge them by that. But if we try to do that with these verses, I think we will not know Peter. We have a bad, like, he has a bad rap from this, from this verse, right? So, I think we should go to the start, right? Where the old thing started. Let's go back to where the old thing started. Where, where Peter met Jesus for the first time. Maybe then we like can see Peter in a better light. All right. So um, still with your Bibles, permit me. This sermon, you'll be jumping from scripture to scripture. We'll be jumping from scripture to scripture. This sermon, just permit me. All right. So um, I want you to just join me real quick and open your Bibles to the book of Luke, right? Open your Bibles to the book of Luke and um, in chapter five, we'll meet. Um, we'll see how. This Peter dude met Jesus, this dude, alright? Alright, Luke chapter 5 and in verse 
1. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, it says this. As Jesus was standing by the sea of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I love that, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came, sorry, and so where is it? Verse uh, 7, thank you. So they signaled their, their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus', feet, Jesus knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, this is a very prophetic statement here. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Amen. So wonderful that the same Peter we read about, Three years after this event happened, this is the same Peter at, at his, I don't know, his first meeting with Jesus, with Jesus. and he's not been, he's, he wasn't trying to deny Jesus or whatever. As a matter of fact, he was in awe of Jesus' presence. Jesus performed a miracle Peter had never witnessed before. He told Peter where to fish, and Peter fished there and caught a great harvest of fishes, and the nest began to break. And look at Peter's response here. Peter was not all denial, denial here. He was like, Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Wow, look, just look at the contrast in uh, contrast in events and, and, and persona. This same Peter we met here, who was in awe of Christ's presence and who Christ was. Three years after now, three years, he saw Jesus do a lot of things. Peter saw Jesus walk on water. Peter saw Jesus raise uh, the 12-year-old dead girl. Peter saw Jesus raise um, Martha and Mary's brother, Lazarus. As a matter of fact, here's the thing. Jesus also, rose, Jesus also raised uh, Peter's mother-in-law from the dead. Scholars actually say that that was why he betrayed Jesus. But that's a lie. That's that's a joke, actually. But if you if you if you look at this thing, this dude has been with Jesus at some of the best moments, right? He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus command things. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus on Mount of Transfiguration. And that just because he was asked a question by three people at different times, one night he denied Jesus. As a matter of fact, he for, he, he, like he just literally acted like he had never met the man before. I don't think one, any, I don't think anybody, anybody wants any friend who, just because they asked the question a couple of times, they, they act like they don't know us. But my question now would be: Didn't Jesus know? Didn't Jesus know that Peter would betray him? Deny, I believe denial is betrayal. Betrayal. If you deny it, you only, you only. If you deny knowing me, you've betrayed me, right? Only that Peter did not sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but he still betrayed him in some kind of way. So did Jesus, did Jesus not know that Peter would betray him? Did Jesus not see this night, three years ago, I mean in, in terms of Bible, um, Bible um, occurrence and, and happenings, did Jesus not know that Peter at some point 
who betray him. And then we read later in, 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 in Matthew 26 how it says, it says that in St. Fry, he said, Peter remembered the prophecy of Jesus after he had betrayed, after he had denied knowing Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And with a shattered heart, the Bible says, with a shattered heart, he left the courtyard sobbing with bitter tears. And the next verse, the next uh, chapter was what was, was, what was mind-blowing for me. Because Peter was shattered after he denied Jesus. And we find in the following chapter, the Pharisees using the same money that was used to pay for Jesus' life that was returned by Judas to buy a land of shattered butter's vessels. I, I don't really know, I don't know if you believe me or not, but I believe that Christ still has a thing for broken things. Peter was shattered because of his errors. He denied his best friend. And he was shattered as a, as a result. And the next chapter we find Jesus purchasing a land of shattered things. A land of shattered dreams. A land of shattered hopes. A land of shattered broken pieces. A land called the potter's field of clay. We find Jesus through, using the Pharisees, of course, to purchase that land. Because Christ still has a thing for broken things. He has a thing for broken people. God has a thing for broken things. No matter how broken you think you are. No matter how broken you think your mind is. No matter how broken your soul is. No matter how broken your family is. Christ still has a thing for it. That's just... Christ just is attracted to broken things because not only did Christ on that cross not only did he pay for our sins but also with the price with price with with, with the price of um Jesus's life that's what he was deemed uh, what, what his worth was deemed to be in the eyes of men he also purchased the land called the potter's field of clay where broken things laid where broken shattered things laid because he still has a great interest in broken things he didn't only go to die for perfect people. He also died for our brokenness. I tell you something. When, Peter, when Jesus stepped into that boat, back in uh, Luke 25, we read earlier, it says that when Jesus was preaching, there were two boats at, on, at the sea. So Jesus was not like, oh, I have no other option. Let me get into Peter's boat. As a matter of fact, Peter was not the only dude there. There's another dude by that boat called John. Now, if I were Jesus, I would have chosen John because John was a better person. John was a nicer person. He was probably one of the best disciples Jesus ever had. Most attentive person. And Jesus walked by the boat. And Bible never, as a matter of fact, Jesus never asked for any permission. Jesus never asked for permission. Like, can I get into your boat? I'm um, sorry, um, dudes, who, want, who I mean, tell me, uh, who wants this boat? John, you own this boat. I don't like your face. Uh, Peter, you have a beautiful smile. Let me get into your boat. Nothing like that. Bible says Jesus saw two boats and he got into one. Isn't so cool? Isn't it so uh, so amazing and crazy at the same time that God doesn't even need our permission to step into our boat sometimes, to step into our situations, our relationships? God doesn't even need our permission. He just steps into it. He just stepped into Peter's boat. If we were if we were talking about good people, he would have chosen John, but he chose Peter, this same person who three and a half years from then would betray him, would deny knowing him ever, even after he had supper with him. Just had. 12 disciples. Of the 12, he, he chose three. They call them the inner disciples. These are the closest disciples to Jesus Christ. They're like Jesus' um, best friends. You know, we, all, we have a circle and we have an inner circle. And this inner circle, they saw Jesus as his weakest moment. When Jesus was about to go to the cross. Right? Jesus called. He said, he gathered, after the, the 12 came out of the supper, uh, the, came out of the upper room where they, where they had supper together. He brought them to this, to this, uh, uh, this field, this garden actually. And he, you know, he said, you know what, um, 
you because Judas was not there, so I'm, I'm guessing they were left with 11. So 11 minus 3 is 8. So 8 of you stand outside here, 3 of you come inside with 3. And he told the three, he only, the, the, Peter, James, and John were the only ones Jesus told, pray with me. Stay here and pray. Watch and pray. This same Jesus, and he, he literally entrusts his life into the hands of these guys. Pray for me. And some hours after that, after that day, I mean after that incident, just a couple of hours after that, not the following day, just some hours after, one of the persons he chose, one of his closest friends, would deny him. Did Jesus not know that Peter was going to deny him? I believe he did. I believe Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. Because I, I'd love to show you something, right? That I found that the Holy Spirit showed me. Because last week when I preached this sermon, I went back and literally I wasn't happy with myself. Not like I didn't preach a great sermon. I preached a great sermon. I know I did. But I felt like there was still more. Like, have you ever heard like, Maybe you went you, and you, you, parked food, you packed food or scooped food from a pot and you just know that there's still more inside that pot for you. I just kept on feeling like there's still more. And I don't know why whenever we leave church, we, we just like, we get so busy and so distracted easily. And because, here's the thing, when the summer stops is when God actually starts to speak to you. When the noise, goes, when the lights go out and everything, that's when God wants to start speaking. But if only you would stay and listen to him. Because... If the, devil, if the devil cannot make you bad, you know what he does? He makes you busy. He makes you so distracted. Because God is trying to get something across to you. God is trying to tell you that. Hey, listen, that message you heard now is for you. And I want to do something in your life. But because we get so busy, we get so entangled in so many affairs, we just miss out on what God is trying to show to us. So the same way, when I left the sermon, left here that day, I preached my sermon for booking people. I went back and I was like, God, there, I believe there is still more in this. The Holy Spirit showed me more. And God did. Alright? God showed me more. And that's what I want to show you guys in a minute. Are you ready? Are you ready for the word now? Now this is where my, my real sermon starts. Alright. Now go back to the book of Luke. Okay, we're there already. Let's go back to um, Luke chapter 5, right? Luke chapter 5. And uh, let's jump to verse 6 real quick. Luke chapter 5 and in verse 6. Verse 6. Can we have that? Can we have that? Luke chapter 5 and in verse 6. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's, I have it here. It says... um. When they had done so, when they had obeyed Jesus' instruction to, um, to cast their nets into the water, when they had done so, it says what? It says, they caught a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They caught a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, when Jesus told Peter to let down his nets to catch some fishes, Peter did, and they caught a great harvest of fishes, right? That his nets started to break. He caught a great harvest of fishes that his nets started to break. Now I want to show you another passage of the Bible, right? That God showed me also this week. Now can you fast forward real quick? Let's fast forward real quick to the book of John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I love it. I love it. I love it when God shows me stuff in this word. John chapter 21. That's literally the last chapter in the book of John. John chapter 21. Listen to this. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other, son, two, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
So they went and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That sounds very much familiar to Luke chapter 5 that we just read. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize or did not realize it was Jesus. Right? And he called out to them, Peter, uh, he, he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul this net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off, he was naked, and jumped into the water. The disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a, fish, they saw a fire of burning coals with a fish in it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 in number. But even, now listen to this, this is, where I, this, this is the phrase I'm closing in on. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Even with so many fishes, the net was not torn. Now, we are coming from, from Luke chapter 5, right? And now we are in John 20, chapter 21. These are two, different, two separate events. I mean, they happened at two different times. The, John 21 we just read now was after Jesus died and resurrected. The one we read was when Jesus first met Peter and the other disciples. Now, this is where Jesus had resurrected. But you will notice that there was a repeat of, there was a repeat of the same event. The same miracle happened. In Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 20 and John chapter 21, there was the same, same miracle, same, the miracle of a, a great harvest of fishes. Same thing, almost like scenario for scenario, right? In Luke chapter 5 and John chapter 21, almost word for word, right? What the miracle that happened. Only that something was different. Except for one thing, right? And it was that in John chapter 21, the nets did not break. In Luke chapter 5, he says they caught a great harvest of fishes that their nets started to break, right? But in John 21 also, they, had, they caught a great harvest of fishes, but their nets did not break. Now, when did their nets get repaired? Now, this is, where, this is the part of the sermon that just like flips me a little bit. When I read this week. When did their nets get repaired? Because if I am not mistaken, it says, um, back in Luke chapter 5, it says that their nets started to break. And after they, 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 they brought everything up shore, and Jesus said, hey, from now on, um, you start fishing for uh, fishing for men and not for fish anymore. Bible says they dragged everything, they dragged their fish offshore, and they left everything and followed Jesus. They left their broken nets also. So now we find the disciples in John chapter twenty-one going to fish. Thirty years after that incident, they had quit fishing ever since that day. The disciples quit fishing since that day. But how did the disciples not have mended nets? Right? Like who repaired their nets? And when did the nets get repaired? And when did the, I mean, when did the nets get repaired? And, and, and when did the nets get strong, nets get strong enough to withstand the weight of their new catch? Right? And this is, this is the part of my sermon that I want you to just lean into very closely with all of your heart. I pray for, I pray for this moment. I pray for everybody that's listening to this sermon right now. I pray for you guys before I came to preach this. And I want you guys to listen to this. Who... Repaired the nets. I think Jesus mended the nets. 
But no, I'm not, I'm not referring to physical nets here. I think Jesus repaired, I think Jesus mended Peter's broken nets. Broken nets. Brokenness. Listen to this. Brokenness. Brokenness. I think, I think, listen to this. I think Jesus mended Peter's brokenness. His brokenness, his broken nets represented his brokenness. Listen to this. Peter's broken nets represented his brokenness. So Jesus mended Peter's brokenness. Broken nets and brokenness. I don't know if anybody's catching this. Jesus mended Peter's broken nets. And Jesus appears brokenness also. And in case you want to prove, because this might sound crazy, right? In case you want to prove, right? Look at let's look at Peter's attitude back in Luke chapter 5. The broken net spirit. His attitude in Luke chapter 5 says what? Can we can we have Luke chapter 5 real quick? I think it was in verse 6 or so. Or verse 9. Verse 6, I think it was verse 6. He says, um, says when, when Peter saw what happened, do we have it? Okay, okay, no, can you go back? Verse, I think it was verse 6. Uh, okay, can you move forward in verse, verse 7, let's see verse 7. Okay, now, okay, go back to verse 8 now. Yeah, verse 8, thank you. When Simon Peter saw this, he said, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Look at Peter's disposition here. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But now, going back to John, John chapter 21. John chapter 21, right? This is mended net spirit. Peter's nets have been mended in this place. Now I want you to look at look at how I want you to look at how Peter responded here. Can you go back to a verse? Let's say from verse nine, all right? John chapter twenty from verse. Okay, now can you go back verse eight? Let's see verse eight. Okay, verse seven. Jesus. No, John. What's it? Uh, verse eight. No, verse eight. Okay, can you go back verse seven? Uh, come on, come on. Verse. Where is it? Oh God, let me show you from here. Verse 7, I believe, of John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is, okay, verse 7. It says this, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, right? It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Now, by the way, like I said, this John 21 we just read now happened after the resurrection. After John had denied Jesus. Sorry, Peter rather. After Peter had denied Jesus, this happened. Jesus met him at the Sea of Gennesaret, replaying the same events that, that, that happened in Luke chapter 5. And now as Jesus met the disciples at the Sea of Gennesaret, as they were fishing, right? Bible says that, Jesus said, cast your nets into the sea, and they did. And the moment they did, John realized, the one whom Jesus loved, the one I said I would have preferred Jesus stepping into his boat. John said, hey, it's the Lord. And what did Simon do? The moment Simon heard that it was the Lord, he jumped into the sea. Now, I don't know, but for someone who denied Jesus, for someone who literally publicly disgraced and embarrassed and denounced and disowns Jesus, I think his reaction when he saw Jesus was, must have or should have been jumping into the sea and swimming away. Right? I mean, you just denied this person. You've known this person for three years. He fed you. He did so many miracles. And you denied him when he needed you the most. But look at his reaction here. His reaction was not him dipping. 
run away. Instead, we see we see um, Peter swimming into the jump into the sea to go and meet Jesus. The excitement in Peter was so great that he jumped into the sea just to meet Jesus. What changed? What changed here? And I, I think what I figured was this. In Luke chapter 5, where we are, where we are coming from, right? No, no, you don't, you don't open it. I think Peter's attitude in Luke chapter 5 shows me one thing, and it was that in Luke 5, Peter was more aware of his brokenness. In Luke chapter 5, Peter was more aware of his brokenness. Brokenness. Amen. But in Luke chapter, sorry, in John chapter 21, what we just read, was no longer aware of his brokenness actually now he was now more aware of christ's redem christ's redemptive power christ's restorative power and he became so aware of christ's redemption that he jumps into the sea and swam to jesus he jumped into the sea to meet jesus right so amazing what changed peter i wish we could have peter like a q and a with peter one of one of these days and say hey peter what changed we saw you in Luke the five you literally were running away from this man this man and now we see, we see you in John 21. What are you doing? You are swimming to him. After you are denied him. What changed, Peter? At some point, I just believe that Christ mended Peter's nets. Christ mended Peter's brokenness. Christ mended Peter's, mended Peter's brokenness. Right here, because here's the thing. That's another thing Christ does, right? He mends. Christ mends. Just no matter how broken you are or what is broken exactly, Christ can mend it. I don't know if you believe it. Christ mends. Christ mends. He mended Peter's brokenness. He mended Peter's brokenness. Now, there's, there's a thing I do in my sermons. I always have what I call a plot twist. It's when things kind of like change all of a sudden. And this is my plot twist. When, right? I don't know if you're taking notes or whatever, but when, when did Peter meet Jesus? When did Jesus meet Peter to mend his nets? When did Peter, I mean, when did Christ meet Peter to redeem him, to mend his broken nets and his brokenness? When did Peter meet Jesus, right? And uh, I'd love to show you a passage of scripture right now in the book of Luke chapter 24. Like I said, we'll be jumping from here, pow, 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 pow. But in a minute, everything will connect. We'll connect all the loose hands real, real soon. Luke chapter 24. Um, I found something, this passage of Luke chapter 24, where we're, read now, where we're about to read now. And um, let me give you context real quick, right? So um, after Jesus died and resurrected, um, the, he, after Jesus died, better still, his disciples, right? They were all kind of distraught. Hey, um, our savior was is gone. We assumed this man was going to um. We assumed this man was going to bring be the one who will bring resurrection. I mean, who will bring restoration and bring, return the kingdom back to Israel and all that. But he didn't do it. Now he's dead. He's buried in the grave. He's six feet underground under the earth, right? And um, they were so distraught. And now in Luke 24, 30, 28 that we're about to read now, Jesus Jesus meets some of his disciples, not not one of the twelve actually. Um. These are, these, these are other disciples that Jesus had, aside the 12, on the way to Emmaus, right? And uh, the if, if translation, the uh, gospel says that one of the, na the names of one of those people going to Emmaus, on, on the way to Emmaus, rather, his name was um, Cleopas, right? And scholars say that it was actually Mr. Cleopas and his wife, so it must have been Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas, going to 
going going on their way to Emmaus. And um, Jesus met them on their way to Emmaus. They were broken by um, the news of Jesus' death. And so Jesus had to come comfort them in a rather strange way. And um, after Jesus met with them and he finished with them, their eyes were, the Bible says their eyes were opened and they saw that he was him. Immediately after that, the Bible says they went back to Jerusalem to meet the other disciples to tell them that, hey, Jesus is resurrected. All right? Now here's how it went. Can we have um, Luke 24, verse 33, real quick? Luke 24, 33. It says this. They left at once and hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples that Jesus was alive, of course. And when they found the eleven, they heard other disciples saying all together, all together. They overheard them saying, Luke 34 and 24, 34, rather. It's really true. For the Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. It's even it's really true, rather. The Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. Wait, wait. It's really true. The Lord has risen from the dead. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, it's true. Believe that. But he even appeared to Peter. When? When did Christ meet Peter? Because we believe that this, the meeting Christ had with Peter was where he, he, he mended Peter's brokenness. But when was it? And I tell you this, right? In case, in case you've never read the Bible, or you don't know what the Bible is, or you don't even know what you don't know the story, I tell you, there is no place in the Bible. As a matter of fact, this was the only account in the entire Gospels that that records that Jesus met Peter privately. It was never recorded anywhere, and Bible did not, the Bible never even gave us any detail. This was all that the Bible left for us. This one phrase, or one sentence, rather, he even appeared to Peter. Now, my question, if I were you, would be. When? Where? How? What did they eat? What did they drink? What music were they listening to? Were they, did they dance? Did Jesus slap each other? What happened when they met? It was never recorded. When and how Jesus met Peter. And I think this, right? I think Christ hid that part away from us. I think God intentionally hid away that part, away from, that part from us. Because if Christ didn't hide it from us, right? We would think that method was the only way God could restore anyone. Are you listening? If Christ had not, if Christ had not hid that part away from us, we would think that that was the only way that Christ could redeem or fix anybody's brokenness. So Christ hid that part away from us. Because if He had not hidden it away from us, right, we would have become the slaves of a method. We would have become slaves of a particular method, right? Rather than, rather than um, have the full experience ourselves, real and true, new for us. So, instead of us becoming slaves of a method, Christ kept it a secret. And what Christ did in place of that was, he said he even appeared to Peter. When and how? The Bible never tells. But I believe that Christ gave us um, something that we all can look back to when we think of restoration. Right? I believe Christ gave us something that can be real to each and every one of us. If we go back to the book of um, Matthew, right, where we started, where everything began, where my sermon started from, book of Matthew chapter 27. Just flip your Bibles with me. For this, this is the last time we open our Bibles, I, I swear to God. This is the last time. We open our Bibles so many times that we can remember. But, 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 but back to Matthew chapter 27, right? There's something I, I, I found in that passage. Can, can we have it? From, start, let's start from verse 6. Verse 6. And I want us to read this together, right? It says, um, the chief priests 
Can we all read this together? In, at the count of three, right? We read it all together from verse 26 and uh, from verse 6 to 8. It says what? One, two, three, go. Let's go. The chief priests, picking up the pieces of silver, said, We can't keep this, for it's unlawful to put blood money into the temple treasury. Verse 7. So after some deliberation, they decided to purchase the potter's field of clay to use as a cemetery for burying strangers. That's why that land has been called the field of blood. I'll tell you something, right? That piece of land, scholars say it's, it's called the, the potter's field of clay. But scholars say that that ground was empty of clay. They had exhausted the clay there. So the, all that was left on that all that was left on that ground were only broken things, only broken pieces, only broken potter's vessels, broken clay pots. Right? Literally, were well, the only things that were left there. Only broken things were left on that ground. But it's so crazy that some verses after this, Jesus would die and would would, would die on the cross and be hung in a very inhumane way. But the crazy part of everything, and this is what I figured, it was that when he bought that piece of land, because now you might say Christ didn't buy the land, Jesus wasn't the one who bought the land. The Pharisees bought the land to cover their sins, their iniquities. Of course, that's true. But even God will use what the enemy meant for evil, and He will turn it around for our good. Amen. Because what happened in this passage that we didn't know that I didn't know before until I read this this week, and God showed it to me. Right? Was that? When that land was bought, that land was filled with broken things. That land was an abandoned piece of land. The only things that you would find there were not, were not life. By the way, there is no life in a clay field. Plants cannot grow in a place of clay. Hardly do you find plants growing there. So what happened? You, and now, by the way, clay, the clay that was exhausted, the only thing you would find there were broken things. Shards of Ports of clay ports, broken things. So, when Christ purchased that land, when he bought it, I'll tell you something. When he bought that land of broken vessels, he also purchased all of our brokenness. Amen. Christ also purchased all of our brokenness. He paid for all of our brokenness. He died on the cross, right, and paid for all of our sins. But with the same money, the Bible calls it, it's called the field of blood because it was bought with what? Blood money. That is the blood, that's the price of someone else's blood. And that price in 30 pieces of silver was also used to purchase the piece of land filled with broken things. Because Christ still has a kick for broken things. Christ he has an interest in broken people. No matter how broken he might be. No matter how broken we are, no matter how broken you are, broken minds, broken emotions, broken souls, broken families, broken whatever, Christ still has an interest for it. Christ, he purchased all of our brokenness, all of our sins, and all of our guilt. Amen. Amen. Because I believe Christ intentionally hid that restoration hour where he met with Peter. I believe he intentionally hid it. It was not, it was not a mistake. The only time it was recorded was in the book of Luke. Where we read earlier. That was the only single time it was recorded that Jesus met Peter. But I believe that he intentionally hid it away. Because, and I think I know why. I think I know why God hid it. Right? And I want you to lean into this. I think that maybe God wants this redemption to be a personal experience for all of us. Because only God and only you knows where you are broken. 
Because only God and only you knows where exactly you are broken. So this is a personal experience for every one of us. Right? Only God and only Peter knew where his, where, what his brokenness was. Only God and only Peter knew what his brokenness was. Brokenness and brokenness. Brokenness and brokenness. Only Jesus knew what, where exactly Peter was broken. Because if he had shown where, when he privately met Peter, he would have also shown how that happened and where it happened. He would have shown the event of restoration and how he went for Peter. But he didn't because if Christ had kept that in the Bible, we would only try to copy the same process. And we would become slaves to the process because we are copying it. It's not real anymore. So Christ intentionally hid that part, of, part away from us. So we can, now have, we can now go on that process on our own. Just you and God. Listen, people don't really need to know where exactly you are broken. That, your story might be so hard for people to even digest. But that, it is never too hard for Jesus. Your story is never too hard for Jesus. You know why? Because even with Peter's brokenness and brokenness, Christ knew exactly where he was broken. And he met with him privately. He met with him privately to mend it. Because his death on the cross was an end to sin. But his purchase of that land signified a new beginning. Because that land was an abandoned piece of land. Forgotten. So that, the only thing you found you find in that land were broken things. The same way most of us are right now. Some of us, if, if, we, if someone had a chance of walking into our minds or walking into our souls, the only thing they would find there are brokenness. Broken things. Broken nets and brokenness will be the only things that we will find in those places. But even God knew the exact place where Peter was broken. Christ knew the exact place where Peter was broken. So you know what he did? With the price of his life. The one he paid on the cross was not enough. He had to go and buy a piece of land. He had to go and purchase a piece of land where broken things lay. Now we are broken. Now I am broken. Now you are broken. But guess what? We now have a new owner. We were, we were just ordinary pieces of clay. I said this last week. We are just ordinary broken parts. Broken people. Broken minds. Broken souls. Broken voices. But now we have a new owner. And that signifies a new beginning for us. A new beginning of beauty rising out of ashes for us. A new beginning of praise welling out of wells of pain for us. We now have a new owner. And now it's a new beginning for us. Amen. It's a new beginning for us. It's a new, I just want you to say under your breath. It's a new beginning for me. It's a new beginning for me. It's a new beginning for me. Because listen. I tell you this. Did Christ not know about Peter? When he met him the first time. Did Christ not know that Peter was going to betray him? The Christ knows that this dude I have called, I have chosen on my disciple team, is a broken man. He has so many issues. I don't know if you've ever met people with issues. I don't think anybody wants to have a relationship with someone who has so many issues. Because today is going to be like depression for something that happened 20 years ago. And tomorrow is going to be something that happened when they were kids. And you don't want, nobody wants to deal with someone who has so many things they're battling with or dealing with. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three years after that. Jesus knew that Peter was going to curse Imagine someone who calls himself a disciple, a person. Jesus knew all of that. Jesus knew that 
Peter was going to deny him. Still, he called him Peter. His name was Simon, by the way. I didn't get to tell you this. Thank God I remember now. Peter was originally called Simon. Peter was never born as, Simon, as Peter. He was born as Simon. Jesus said at some point, listen, man, I'm going to change your name. Your name is no longer going to be Simon or Peter, which means rock, Cephas. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Now, this same Peter that Jesus called, this same Simon Jesus called Peter, Peter now, will betray him some hours after that. Did Jesus not know? Did Jesus not know? Ah, here's the answer. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that Peter was broken from the jump. The first time Jesus met Peter, guess what? He met him with brokenness and brokenness. I don't know if this is making sense. The first day, first day Jesus ever stepped into Peter's boats, he met him with what? Brokenness and brokenness. He met him with a whole lot of, whole lot of crap and baggage. Jesus met Peter with brokenness and brokenness. But guess what? He still chose him. Christ still chose Peter. Despite all of his brokenness, Christ still chose him. We have been broken from the jump. The first time Christ ever met us, he met us not just he didn't perfect us. No, he met us with brokenness, with brokenness and brokenness. Christ met us with our brokenness and our brokenness, and yet he still chose us. Ain't you glad that Christ chose you? Like Christ chose me despite all my brokenness, all my broken mess. Also, Christ chose me because He wants to restore and He wants to redeem us. The only reason Christ has chosen you, you might not believe this. You're probably having finding hard and having a difficult time believing this for yourself, right? But Christ chose Peter, right? Despite all of his brokenness and his brokenness. The same way Christ shows you and I. Despite our brokenness and our brokenness. You know why? Because Christ wants to mend it. Because Christ wants to mend it. It doesn't matter how broken your nets are. Christ can mend it. It doesn't matter how broken your nets are. Christ can mend it. There is nothing Christ cannot mend. There is nothing Christ cannot change. There is nothing Christ cannot mend. There is nothing Christ might not, cannot change. No matter how broken your nets are, if you are living with broken nets or with brokenness, he sees it, he knows it, he knows exactly where it's where it is broken, and he alone can fix it. He, Christ alone can fix your brokenness. Stop trying to stop trying to super glue it. Stop trying to super glue it. Right? And stop running away from God. Because our normal response to shame is always hiding. Our normal response to shame and disgrace is we try to hide our face, right? But Christ is saying, listen, no more hiding. No need to run away. I am the only one who can fix your brokenness and your brokenness. I am the only one who can fix your brokenness and your brokenness. So Christ is saying, listen, take your nets and follow me. Follow me. It's a personal thing. Everybody doesn't, know, doesn't need to know. You don't just share it and shout, Hey, I'm broken, I'm broken, I'm addicted to this. You don't need to tell everybody that. Listen, it's a personal experience that you have, to, you have to embark on. You have to meet Peter. I mean Jesus, rather. Peter met Jesus before any of the other disciples did. You have to have your own personal experience. 
with Peter. I mean with Jesus. I keep on saying Peter, I'm sorry. You have to have your personal experience with Jesus. You need to meet Jesus. Because only him can fix your brokenness and your brokenness. Thank you, God. For only you can fix our brokenness and our brokenness. Our broken mess and everything that's broken about us. Everything that's corrupted. Everything that is broken. Thank you for only you can fix it. I don't know where exactly you feel broken right now. But I believe Christ can fix it. I believe he can fix it. Yes, I spent the last 40 minutes there about talking to you about brokenness and brokenness. Brokenness and brokenness. Because not everything in the Bible is significant. Peter's first catch, he had brokenness. On, his, on, his, on the day of his last catch, guess what? His nest did not break. Because Christ had mended it. Because Christ has mended it. Christ has mended his brokenness and his brokenness. Thank you, God, for you alone can mend our brokenness and our brokenness. Thank you, God, for only, let's be on our face, on. Thank you, God, for only you can mend our brokenness and our brokenness. Thank you, God, for your mending it right now. Thank you, God, for your, your mending it right now, God. Thank you, God. Like I said, it's a personal experience. So right now, I just want you to, I just want you to believe right now. Put yourself in that position, right? This is my restorative journey, right? This is my restorative journey. I just want you to put yourself, right, mentally, right, in that place where you're meeting with Jesus. Nobody's there. Nobody's there. Just you and Jesus. He's mending your nets. Just picture Jesus mending your nets, fixing your broken pieces. He holds it all together, right? Just, I just want you to picture Jesus mending everything right now. Thank you, God, for mending everything. You're mending it, God. You're mending it. You're mending it. You're mending it. You're mending it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your mending our brokenness, God, and our brokenness. Thank you, God. Oh, the broken people's Beauty in our fathers For the resurrected King is resurrecting me For all the broken people's sin Beauty in our fathers feel For the resurrected King is resurrecting in me. Thank you, God, for your mending our brokenness and our brokenness. You see exactly, God, where it is. You see exactly where it is. You see exactly where it is. Right, I, I want you all to look at me real quick, right? Just everybody look at me for a minute. Um like I said, this thing is a personal thing. But don't just expect a restoration to fall on you suddenly. Like, it doesn't just happen like that. It's a journey, right? So one time, she, she gave her life to Christ then. And that she, we, we, we were talking and then she said, I expected something to happen, you know? She said I expected something to just lift off of me or for me to feel one type of way. But the truth is, it doesn't always happen like that. Because 
It's a journey. It's not just one. It doesn't just happen one time. It's a journey, right? Because God would use the same Peter, right? The same one who denied him. God will use this same Peter. And he will be the one who will spearhead the evangelism, spearhead the gospel very soon. Christ will use the same broken person. It's a journey. When the lights go out, right? When the, when, when, when the noise is drained, right? When the noise go down, that's when Christ wants to start redeeming. That's when Christ wants to start restoring. So eyes closed and head bowed around this place. God, we thank you. For you see our brokenness and our brokenness. And you are redeeming. And you, God, you are restoring everything in us that is broken. Everything in us that looks broken. Everything in us, God, that we are not able to comprehend. <clears throat> like, why am I broken in the first place? I don't know if you've ever been, if you've been asking yourself that question. Why am I broken? Why am I like this? Like, why exactly am I, was I born this way? I didn't ask to be born. And now I am born not, and I am born with this dent. I am born with these thorns in my flesh. I am born with this brokenness and brokenness. If you've been asking yourself that question, right? Christ is saying, listen. The only reason it is broken is because it was not perfect in, to begin with. And the only reason a powder breaks a vessel is so it can remold it. So it can remold it, give it a new shape. Give it a new person. Give it a new shape, a new person. This same Peter that denied Jesus one night, on another night would save 3,000 souls with just one gospel. Just one sermon. Save 3,000 people one day, not two days or two Sundays. One Sunday. Thank you, God, for you are the only one who can restore and who can redeem. Whatever your brokenness is, cast it on Jesus. He can fix it and He will fix it. He can fix it and He will fix it. Thank you, God. All praise, all glory and honor be unto your name forever, God. Thank you, God. Hey, this message blessed you in any way. I need you to do a couple of things for me. One, join our online growth community. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Teacher Global. On YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the bell icon to know when we post a video on you. Like this video, comment what spoke to you, what transformed something inside of you. Two, share this message with your friends, your families, even your enemies. Three, pray by giving and whatever God lays in your heart to give. Do so by hitting the link in the description below. Hey, go out, be transformed, and be thou enlightened. God bless you. We love you.